Hi, I'm Courtney. Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People, the podcast where I speak with individuals or groups or couples. I only have one couple on here, so I wonder if I can actually say that I've done that or I do that on a regular. But I interview people living with STIs or affected by STIs about their experience. Um, a question I was asked recently was, why do I always say, hi, I'm Courtney? The reason I say, hi, I'm Courtney is because that's like the easiest way to introduce yourself to somebody. And I used to be really, really scared to talk to girls and never be able to think of anything to say. So when I said, hi, I'm Courtney, the interaction would just kind of be much easier to go into. They'd either introduce themselves or they'd be like, fuck off or turn around or throw a drink on me. No one's ever said fuck off or thrown a drink on me. I was just kind of throwing that in there, but... It's, uh, it's all about the what's the word? It's all about the uh, the execution, I guess. What you think? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, what the fuck is he talking about? He was just supposed to say, "Hi, I'm Courtney, and this is something positive for positive people." And today I'm here with Dale. Well, I got to that part. So today I'm here with Dale. Dale is 28 years old, identifies as non-binary, and has HSV one and two. Oh, one. Damn it. I fucked that up. Uh, I have one, but genitally. Okay. You have type one genitally. Correct. Yeah. Got it. All right. Now tell us your ethnicity and career field. Yeah. So I'm white and I work at Family Tree Clinic, which is a sexual and reproductive health care clinic as a clinic assistant and sex educator. You know, I, when we talked, did you used to work at a sex store? Yeah, I oh, worked okay. at the Smitten Kitten, which is a rad feminist sex toy store for, like, five and a half years. All right, because when you, when you said, like, you worked in sexual health, I was like, wait a minute, is, was that a cover-up? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I never covered it up when I worked at a sex toy store, I was very proud. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool, and then um, the last thing is, oh, relationship status and, like, type of, what. Well, type of relationship so i usually ask people basically if they're in a relationship or dating if they're monogamous or non-monogamous and then um what they are what their sexual preference is yeah so i am not monogamous i am dating right now and i'm queer so i am kind of a equal opportunity dater um I don't really have any sort of, like, body or gender preferences. I've never heard that before. Equal opportunity <laughs> dating. So everybody's got a shot. All you got to do, what, just don't be an asshole. Right, yeah. I was trying to, like, figure out what my type is when I was talking to a friend recently, and I was like, I think my type is just, like, not blonde. Like, I think that's it. I, really? <laughs> yeah, that's, like, the only thing I could think of. <laughs> Damn, now that you said it, I think I think I'm in the same boat. I don't think I've ever dated a blonde. I actually have dated blondes too. Oh. So you don't even know. Oh, so you're just all over the place. Like you like what you like. You ain't got no type. Just just bad bitches and and other. <laughs> oh, you're not familiar with the song, are you? Oh my god, I feel like an asshole. All right, there's a song by Ray Shrimmer called "I Ain't Got No Type" or it's called "No Type," but that's what they okay. said. And then he says, they say they like bad bitches. So at some point, I'm going to have to have you listen to that song very soon so I can put in the description that you listened to it and then you laughed. Okay. That way the joke didn't just go over your head. <laughs> All right. So HSV1 genitally, um, how long have you been diagnosed? Um, like a little over four years, I would guess. Okay. So you're 24. What was going on in that point in your life? Were you in school? Were you out of school or working? time um 
at the sex toy store, this Mitten Kitten, and uh, had a, I was trying to be monogamous at the time, so I had a monogamous partner, um, and we lived together, so we were in a pretty serious relationship. That was probably about, like, halfway through, like, a five-ish year-long relationship. Um, yeah, and my partner had cold sores and had since before we'd met, and I knew that, so, like, I knew that I was exposing myself to HSV very willingly. Now, that question. Really. So, did your partner tell you at the beginning of the relationship, I get cold sores, or was it something that you noticed? Had you ever talked about the fact that your partner got cold sores? Yeah, we talked about it a bit. Um, it wasn't like they, like, disclosed to me in a serious way where, like, I get cold sores, but it was... We knew each other for a little while before we dated, um, and so, like, I knew that they got cold sores, and when they had them, like, we would barely even kiss, like, we wouldn't do oral sex, you know, we avoided skin-to-skin contact to a point, and I also think that, like, we got lazy about it after we'd been together for, like, two years, Um, and I think that... They didn't have a lot of information about transmission, especially, like, sexual transmission. Um, So I think they thought they were kind of doing everything that they could. And I didn't really, like, I don't know. I feel like I knew a lot about herpes being a sex educator um, compared to, like, the education most folks get. But at the same time, I didn't really, like, internalize it very well and, like, think about it in, like, the realities of my own life. So I acknowledged that I was exposing myself to HSV, but I also didn't really, I never really thought about, like, what'll happen if I get this? Right. Like, what would happen? I kind of just thought, like, well, I probably already have HSV-1, you know? And so, like, I don't get cold sores, so probably nothing will happen. So even though, like, it was a risk that I very willingly engaged in, when I did get diagnosed, I was surprised. Oh, yeah. You know? It's, it's very interesting being on the other side of this because I dated uh, two points that you made that I can relate to. It was one, I dated someone who did not have HSV, at least to her knowledge, she didn't. And she knew about mine before we had any sexual contact. And I explained it to her. I was like, you know, this is what it means for me. This is what it means for you. These are the precautions that I take to minimize the risk of transmission, not eliminate. So we had our precautions that we would take, like I would shower before, um, if I felt any tingling sensation or anything, we wouldn't do anything. We always would use condoms and then I would just be like, hey, you know, when we get done, how about you go shower and just like, you know, get your groin genital area um, and brush your teeth because, I mean, oral wasn't off limits. So um, we would do that and we were doing this for a few months and I noticed she had gotten pretty lazy about it. So I brought it to her attention. I was like, hey, I'm noticing that you're not taking the precautions that we discussed. Like, are you aware? Like, I don't feel right, you know, doing what I'm doing, especially with the podcast. And then, like, if she were to come out later at some point and be like, oh, I have herpes. Because this was a casual thing. Like, we talked about, you know, this wasn't going to be something long term. We just liked spending time with each other. But when I brought it up to her, she mentioned to me, she was like, well, you said I can't get it. And I was like, no. That's not what I said. I said we are reducing or minimizing the risks 
of transmission and like I was I would take more of my medication just in case for her sake because I usually don't take it unless I have something coming up and if I do like I'll just pop the pill and a day two days three days whatever sensation there is goes away and so that just goes to show like how we as the carriers like have to even if someone says they're okay with it like there has to be a reassurance that it's okay. Like we have to make sure and let them know repeatedly, like, you sure, you sure? And it got to a point where I asked her directly, I was like, are you okay with getting herpes? You yeah. have to tell me yes or no. And she couldn't answer it. So I was like, okay, I have to assume that that's a no. So we should probably end this. And like, that was just, that had to be the end of it because she wasn't okay with it. And in her mind, it was like, well, I can't get it if and there's no, I can't get it. Like, it's too unpredictable for us to, even with the necessary precautions, like, it, it, it's too much for something that's short term. It's not worth the risk. Yeah, it's so it's so hard to know where another person's at when you're talking about real estate because people really want, in my experience anyway, people really want to, you to like give them numbers and like percentages. Like, what is the risk if we do this? What is the risk if we do this? What if it's like, what if you have an outbreak? What if you don't? And it's like those numbers don't really exist. And even yeah. if they did, it would still be like a guess. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's really smart to be like are you okay with getting herpes or not? Because ultimately like that is what it comes down with down mm -hmm. to. And like, you can, you can be at a point where like your risk is probably under 1%, but it's never going to be zero. Never. percent. And depending on somebody's like level of education. And again, like how much they've actually processed that knowledge and like internalized it. Like you don't really know what a person thinks is happening. Yeah. Yep. It's complicated. Very. Yeah. And then the second part of what you were saying is like, you were at a point where you were like, okay, well, I just, I'm just going to assume that I have it until, you know, you were diagnosed and I dated someone else. We assumed that she had it as well. And then at some point when she didn't, it was like, oh, I, I dodged a bullet and the relationship just began to kind of change. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, you, you got that to deal with as well. But I mean, from your perspective, I'm just curious, like... What was the thought process there if you just assumed, okay, well, shit, I'm sure I have it. As time had gone on, you said you'd been together for two years and then you were just like, oh, well, fuck it. Like, I'll just be lazy. I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't even that much of a conscious thought process. You because know, you like the was, person. It just kind of evolved. It wasn't like, I didn't feel like I was making decisions about it. And then, and I think part of it was just like, because my partner have cold sores I assumed that like I probably had it but it didn't get cold sores so it was probably fine and then I think part of the surprise too is getting an outbreak on my genitals it's like I knew that was possible but just didn't think the reality of it through and then when it happened I was like oh this is this is gonna change my sex life yeah like, it's gonna change <laughs> about my life and I just, yeah, it wasn't something that I had spent time thinking about. So mm -hmm. then I had to, and I was like, yeah, probably should have thought about this sooner. But. And now this was the monogamous relationship you were in, correct? Yeah. All right. So out of curiosity, what ended that relationship? Was it the herpes or was it something yeah. else? Mostly it was that, um, I mean, it was, it ended for a lot of reasons. We just, uh, 
what we wanted out of our lives really changed and I don't want to have kids. Um, and the other person really did. So that was probably the biggest thing. I think, I think that's important because people tend to try and hold on to relationships for the sake of, you know, not having to go on and disclose or having to, it's easy. It's easy to be with someone else who has herpes. And we tend to like, you could have very easily, the easy thing to do would have been like to lie to yourself about not wanting to have kids. You could have told your partner, okay, well not right now, not right now, not right now. And then you look up and you're like in your forties and you're like, ah, well now I can't have kids. So you've been lying to them all this time, you know, about what it is that you wanted in order to make them happy because it's convenient for your life. And that's, that would have been a very selfish thing to do while it's easy to just stay in the relationship and like lie or lie to yourself about what it is that you want. But you also have to lie to your partner about what it is that you want. And that's just not, that's not healthy. So it was very. I I think that for me, it was our, our relationship ended for more than just that reason. If it had been just that reason, it was different, but I definitely went through phases of, of those thought processes like mm-hmm. and I like what is what is going to happen if we ever break up because like I don't know how to date a and then b I have to date with herpes and like I can yeah I can deal with some like mild relationship dissatisfaction to avoid those other issues that seem so daunting and terrible right but really like living them now facing my fear is like it's way better to like be rejected by some uneducated person that you barely know because you have herpes and to be dating with herpes and actually have positive experiences and like have the relationships that you want and the sex that you want than to be in a unhappy relationship with somebody else who has herpes just because that feels safe. You know, like those risks and rewards are way better than the like the monotony of like a like low-key unhappy relationship yeah yeah and it's there's two ways to look at it when you do have herpes and you're with someone who has herpes it's i can stay in this relationship i mean you 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 begin to evaluate it you begin to ask yourself why am i with this person and i think that well i can only make the assumption that that's what happened with you you know even with the herpes you were like am i happy in this relationship do we want the same things is this what i want are we going to be together long term or is this something that like should we go our separate ways and i almost view in just talking to people and having them share their experiences with me uh just herpes being the thing that just makes you go what what am i doing Yeah, it definitely does. I think that when I started dating with herpes, especially, it's like I was much more thoughtful about how I talked about sex, how I got consent, um, like what kind of sexual act. I I was a lot more like responsible for myself, Mm -hmm. honestly, in like a really positive way, I think. And I think it's also really like changed, changed my own relationship with my body. Um, and helps me have like better boundaries with partners around stuff too. I think it's hard to like, I mean, for me personally, anyways, it's hard to like take care of myself first in a relationship and having herpes has actually helped me do that better because I feel more empowered to just like, if somebody is not okay with it, just be like, okay, then this isn't happening. 
Um, because that is like on a safety level, what I feel comfortable with, but it ends up translating into other things. Like it ends up translating into like, how is this person treating me? How are they showing up for me? Like all of these other ways. So it's, given me a way to like say no to people and that and has informed other things yeah actually really great yeah so what you're saying is that it translates into life like now that you have herpes you have to be more mindful of your body take care of yourself and in it's not a selfish thing i think a lot of people look at taking care of yourself as a negative thing you want to put other people first like that's fine when you have other people that you need to put first like i obviously children need to be put first but at the same time you have to be at a level you have to be able to take care of them and the best way to take care of someone else is to make sure that you're taken care of first and given the example with herpes like because you're taking care of your body because you're mindful of your body you're better able to take care of someone else by putting yourself first oh yeah totally And I think that, like, especially if you're talking about romantic relationships, too, I think that when you, a lot of people have that view of, like, oh, you need to, like, really put that other person first and do all this, like, do all this caretaking, and that is only sustainable when you're taking care of yourself. So if you're doing it and you're not taking care of yourself, you're actually kind of dooming your relationship because Mm -hmm. that is going to only work to a point. Yeah. And that is going to stop working. Yeah. Um. And that's a hard, like, that's a hard lesson to learn. I feel like I've just learned that really in the last, like, six months, you know. But it's super duper important. And when you, unfortunately, when you have to do things to take care of yourself, you're more likely to do them Mm -hmm. for, like, your health reasons or whatever it is. So those those are ways that you learn that lesson after. And, um, like, in relationships, the thing about it that I'm learning is that it's not supposed to be about the other person like you're not supposed to put them first put their needs above yours at the expense of your own like I almost feel like there's two people standing outside of like a a cloud like there's a cloud above you and another person and you're working on yourself and you're taking inventory on the things that you're able to bring to the cloud and you put that in there so that and it's like it's a better for me to just draw this than it is for me to explain it. But just picture two stick figures and there's like a circle above them in the middle and there's like an arrow going into it and an arrow coming out of it. Both people are putting everything they have to offer into that cloud for the sake of getting it back out from that cloud, if that makes sense. So like you're getting back what you're putting in collectively. So where one partner may be, you know, the the fun you know, spontaneous one. The other one may be more of a planner, structured, detail person. Both people are bringing that into the cloud and it's benefiting the bigger picture uh, for both parties because of what each person individually is able to bring to the table. And in that cloud, you know, you have, you also have like the things that you want out of life. So like if you want kids, everything each person is doing and putting into that cloud is so that they're able to get kids, they're able to take their families on vacation, they're able to receive the kind of love and sex that they want or whatever the kind of relationship it is. It, it's really all about the bigger picture. And the more people are able to realize that and be like, okay, we don't want the same things. Like, I, I think that there's a, a a negative association with that statement. When someone's able to come to you, let's say you're dating someone for a while and you go, I don't think we want the same things. 
the other person takes that such offense to that if they're taking care of you or if they're putting you first and then they just feel like you don't care about them when logically what needs to happen is there just needs to be a bigger picture in mind that both parties want because at any point people are replaceable and the bigger picture itself is not because if two people really want that thing or more however many people want it then they're gonna that's what's gonna be put first really smart and I like in this visual that like both people are still separately themselves and then they like work together because that's so important I think people start like identifying as their relationship instead of as an individual who's in a relationship Uh, and that's like a red flag such a red flag so (laughs) um enough about me uh, because I keep doing that (laughs) thing where I talk a lot um so you were diagnosed four years ago and in a relationship you ended the relationship and you got back out into dating so you go from a monogamous relationship where both partners have hsv1 to the dating world now how how is that for you it was oh it was hard on a lot of levels um, I never, I feel like I never really dated until then, like, I was in school, and then I was in, you know, I was, like, in high school and then college, and that was, like, all of the dating life that I had had, and that really makes socializing different, and then when you're, like, an adult out in the world working and whatever, socializing is not as easy, and so, and I don't drink alcohol, and so, like, that also makes dating feel weird because I am very conscious about consent and things like that so I never like would go home with somebody who was drunk and I'm sober like that would never happen because it makes me feel really uncomfortable and I'm just awkward so yeah it was hard um I did a lot of tinder dating at first and it was you know entertaining but not necessarily very successful. Um, And it was really, I was really trying to figure out how to disclose. Um, Like, at what point do you disclose? So I I did a lot of different things um, just to see see how they worked, see how people reacted to them. And uh, I definitely found that more people were super chill about me having herpes than I thought they were going to be. I would say the majority of reactions to disclosure were like, okay, so what does that mean for what kind of sex we can have? Basically, like, very matter-of-fact, not a big deal. I did find that some people would kind of go back on that later, and that touches on what we talked about before. is like, how do you really know how much the other person knows what's going on? Um, like I had one person text me, months later blaming me for their primary partner's new cold sore outbreak and I was like no that's not not how this works and there's so many things going on in this conversation um but I also had some like pretty terrible reactions to it and then had some people who pretty chill about it and I kind of thought at first that this was just a thing for me because I was a sex educator and then as I've been talking with more people who have herpes, I realize this is just a thing. Um, but there's also a lot of the reaction of like, oh, okay, so now tell me everything about herpes. And that's when people start being like, so what are the risks? What are the percentages? Like, be like, we were, we're is in it, bed. Is we're it? About to make out, oh. But give me a lesson on herpes right now because that seems like the appropriate thing to ask for, which I think is really frustrating. Um, 
so there's there was a lot of that there was a lot of like me me all of a sudden becoming a sex educator and for me because that's so much work and not like fun not that that's not fun for me but it takes the like sexy romantic elements out of it for me because I go into work mode I had a lot of things where it was like a date that was going well and then I disclosed and they didn't have a negative reaction but then I no longer wanted to have sex with them yeah it's it's (laughs) like that conversation is a complete turnoff like you go into it um like you said you tell people up front and they're cool with it and then it's like I almost want to compare it to being a bull seeing red. Like you see red, you see red, and then you attack that red. And it's like, basically you get your nut off. You get your nut off and now you're level-headed. And you're just like, oh shit, you got herpes? And then that's when you want to ask questions and like learn about it and be like, oh, okay, well, while I'm level-headed, do I want to do this again? Yes or no? And then that's when the decision is really made. The decision is made. More so when the other person has a clear head. And it's very responsible for you not to go home with anyone who can't give consent. Like, if they've been drinking, like, you just avoid that completely. Um, But it's, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, uh, we could be sex intoxicated or sex deprived intoxicated. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I feel like now I've gotten better around timing disclosure in a way where... I am more likely to disclose to someone when nothing sexual is going on, and there's probably not going to be something sexual going on, like, in that hangout. Right. So they, like, go away from me and do their own education uh-huh. and come back after making, like, a decision more independently. Because I also, like, as much as this is kind of unavoidable in being a human, like, I'd rather not have to have that person make the decision if they want to have sex with me and expose themselves to herpes in front of me. Like, that's a self-protection oh. thing that I've learned, and I think it's better for their decision-making for them to be honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. So what you're, what you're saying is you educate them, you inform them, okay, I have herpes, and then you give them time to soak that in and allow them to do whatever research necessary, like maybe you'll provide them with resources or something, and then they are responsible for, in your time apart, deciding what that means for them. So you give them time to understand what this means, assuming that they'll take the initiative and do that. Ideally, yeah. And I guess this happens like every single time. And also because I, in my previous job, taught classes around like STID stigmatization and I like do this Instagram and I'm just very open as a person. There's a lot of people who have known that I've had herpes for, like, months before we ever went on a date or something like that. So, like, in those situations, I feel very comfortable. Um, And then we'll, like, answer questions about, like, specifics that maybe wouldn't come up in a class. But, like, there's certain classes that I used to teach where I would start by disclosing that I have herpes to the group because it's it's teaching people how to destigmatize STIs for themselves. Mm -hmm. Not I, I don't want to say not enough of us because I don't know this for a fact, but I do think that we can benefit from having more sex educators who are living with STIs, STDs, um, because we know firsthand. I think that the stigma, and I say there's a lot of people who listen regularly are going to get tired of hearing me say this, because the stigma really comes from people who don't have it. Um, like you have an idea of the kind of person who has herpes or HIV or who gets chlamydia, gonorrhea, you have that imprinted in your mind based on judgments 
from a time where you weren't positive, you had no experience, and you got the information from people who were making jokes or, you know, sex educators who were just like, this is what it is based on that stigma. Once you get to the other side of this and you actually have an STI, you do your own education, like you inform yourself, you talk to different people who are doing different things and you figure out that, oh, you know, 95% of that shit isn't really true. Like that's not how this works at all. I mean, you know, there's there's some facts in there, like obviously um, how all I got from the facts is that it's unpredictable. Like you, you can spread it, you could not spread it, but all you really can do is just take care of yourself. And then that's the best way to take care of other people. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it's really, I, I do, I like to read, like, research from medical journals and stuff about herpes um, and herpes stigma and some more, like, sociological research. And there's studies that actually show that part of it, too, I think is just a fundamental misunderstanding that's kind of based in stigma, but it's more, like, diffuse than that, that people don't really, really fundamentally don't understand their own sexual risks. Mm-hmm. So they will admit to behaviors that have certain like levels of sexual risk to exposure to certain STIs. But then when asked, like, do you participate in risky sex or sex that risks exposure to this kind of STI? They don't think they do. So there's this like, you know, this like moral baggage that goes along with sex and sexuality where people think like if they do sex right, they won't get STIs. And if they do sex, like whatever their wrong version is, they could. People don't think they're doing sex wrong. So they don't think they're going to get STIs. And it's like, I think part of that is stigma and like, yeah, morality baggage culturally. And part of that is that we just do a bad job of sex education. Yeah. <laughs> like we, for like youth and stuff, you know? So the earlier you learn that like STIs are kind of an unavoidable part of being a sexual person, that like the better, because that is the truth. It's like a normal thing about interacting with humans and when you bring your genitals into that interaction then there's like a different set of sti risks and like that's just normal now that it's like a bad thing and it's just not it's just part of it yeah i mean we're not gonna neglect the one two people who have arranged marriages no interaction with human beings and meet their person and have sex with them for the rest of their lives like I mean, one of you could have herpes and give it to the other person just from being born with it or whatever, but we're not completely neglecting that it's... We're not neglecting the fact that it... There are cases where it's unavoidable, but in the world we live in now where your next potential sex partner is literally at your thumb, like your fingertips, like you can literally point and swipe to the next person you're going to have sex with, and enough of us are uh, exposed to that realm of dating to where, yes, STIs are at a point where they're unavoidable. So the only thing we can do is really educate ourselves, inform ourselves, educate our youth, and, you know, become active in the sex education community and become, like, advocates for better sex education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and definitely, like, some people aren't sexual. That's fine. Um, and some people will have, like, one partner. I think that a lot of people, though, think that, like, if they're monogamous and have a few partners, 
they are fine. They're safe. They're never going to be exposed to any sexual risk. And those are like, those are people I want to reach because often they have like fundamental misunderstandings about how STIs are transmitted. And it's not necessarily like their fault or, you know, like a stigma that they're trying to actively perpetuate. It's just based on wrong assumptions mm-hmm. that they've been taught, you know? So, and like often folks, I think, who think that are really super devastated if they do get an STI diagnosis. And that's, yeah. I mean, I like that's part of why I wanted these stigmatized herpes and in general STIs is because like, that like devastation response is avoidable. Like that doesn't have to, you don't have to go there. You don't have to go to those dark places. Right. If you're prepared. Yes. And people aren't prepared. No, we're not. And enough people, I mean, we know by now that, um, everyone who gets their diagnosis initially, not everyone, most people who get their diagnosis initially tend to go into this. Oh my God, my life is over thought process or I'm never going to have sex again or I'm never going to be with anybody like when I was diagnosed I thought I was going to just either have sex with whoever gave it to me because I was looking for that person uh like all right well we stuck together now or I was going to be masturbating the rest of my life like that's what I thought initially and then you know time passes and you have it and then you begin to talk to people you begin to meet people and you come to realize that it's not as rare as you think you're not the only person who has herpes and Like, and I think because a lot of people don't get tested for it until they have some sort of outbreak, too, that adds to the scariness. I know that definitely was a thing for me, was you don't have any context of, like, how frequent are my outbreaks going to be? How painful are they going to be? Usually the first outbreak is physically the most painful. So you're like, well, fuck, if this happens to me regularly for the rest of my life, like, how am I going to do life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then you realize, like, oh, this is manageable there's things i can do to prevent outbreaks and for most folks they don't get a lot of recurrent outbreaks yeah or if they do they become less painful or less severe you know so it's it is very manageable and part of it is just like getting used to living with it and realizing that for a lot of not all folks but most folks it's just not a big deal when it comes to like your day-to-day right right um, this seems like a good place for us to wrap up. Uh, I want to talk about your Instagram and what you're doing, um, how people can find you. Uh, and like you just created this Instagram page. I, oh wait, how do you spell it for us? Like it's written okay. weird. Is so, it yeah, I have herpes? It's, kind of it's at underscore I underscore have underscore herpes underscore. Okay. <laughs> um, but if you just search the hashtag I have herpes, you'll find it. And that's probably easier. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so what can people expect to follow you? Like what content are they able to expect from following your Instagram underscore I underscore have underscore herpes underscore? Um, just like messages destigmatizing herpes and educating folks about herpes. Um, the account is primarily like for people who have herpes. Um, I want their stories to be centered and their experiences to be centered. Um, and I also want to educate folks who don't have herpes or are newly diagnosed um, just to give them some context and some, yeah. like, true facts and some, like, real honest talk about um, herpes. And then I'm starting to build a website, and so I also want to elevate the voices of other people's experience of living with herpes and get different perspectives and different opinions. Like, I really hope that this generates 
a dialogue both like online and in people's real lives mm -hmm. um so that's that's the plan for now um yeah. and i pr i have a particular lens that i bring to it i think working in healthcare now and working as an educator with medical professionals previously so i do want to bring a lot of information there about testing about um kind of like ways that we can do a better job to support herpes um, people living with herpes, uh, because I think that that's a huge thing that's lacking and a huge part of why diagnosis is so hard for people is because they don't get any support in that appointment, you know, by their healthcare professionals. They get very little information generally. And sometimes the kind of like nonchalant attitude of a medical professional is really invalidating and makes it worse and from talking to medical professionals, like their their perspective is so different. So I'm really hoping that part of like one arm of what I do through the um, the destigmatizing herpes work through the Instagram and online is kind of bridging the gap between medical professionals and people living with herpes. Yeah, I feel like this kind of contributes to our lack of we don't really take mental health issues seriously and the lack of empathy or compassion, you know, upon this diagnosis really, that's a good starting point for us. When you're diagnosed with something that's going to change your life, you know, from an outside perspective, I think physically, I think, Oh, you got herpes. It's on your dick. You can see it. You can feel it. But now that I have it, I see that the psychological effects are so much deeper they're much more deep rooted than the like I, I think that they outweigh the physical pain in my case in a lot of cases out there there are people who have severe outbreaks on the regular but there was no all right Courtney well you know here's where you can learn how to manage it or here's what it means now you need to change this up I got a pamphlet uh prescription and I was sent on my way and I'm grateful to you for being on the other side of that and allowing yourself to come on this side of it where you're you're taking your experience and you're bringing that into the workplace and you're taking your workplace experience and you're bringing it back to people who are newly diagnosed and being able to help them using uh, experience-based methods or a method, an experience-based method of education to help newly diagnosed individuals and, you know, even people who just may be misinformed about it or maybe not even know. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. I hope it works out. It will. <laughs> I hope, it will. I think I'm already so excited. Like I've been doing, I haven't been doing it very long and there's already been like so much positive response that I'm really, I'm really hopeful and like more, just more people care than I thought would. So yeah. I'm talking about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy that Luna connected us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Luna. She'll listen and be like, oh, they gave me a shout out. <laughs> All right, so um, stay on with me after we conclude this episode. I want to ask you some things. Um, the things that I ask will be in the next podcast episode. It'll probably be a bonus. Assuming that Dale says yes to staying for a little bit and recording another episode. But I told y'all 25 to 35 minutes and here we are at 39 minutes. So I need to hurry up and close this out. I want to be a good podcast host and be honest about what I'm doing. 
please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on whatever your podcast player is. iTunes, Stitcher, Podchaser, Podbean, Podbay, whatever it is that you listen on. Those reviews are helping more people get connected to the resources that they need in order to help guide them through their diagnosis. I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Reddit at H on my chest. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People with Dale. Dale, say bye to the people. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for having me. This was great. Thank you. Till next time, stay positive.